here and it's dark outside already. Seasons are changing. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'd like to look at the first two verses here this evening of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I know that we've been laboring in this book here for the last several weeks, Lord, but um, I pray that you'll continue to bless our study, though it uh, seems to be in reverse here, Lord. I pray that you'll help us as we um, try to take a hold of this text, Lord, and grab a hold of the blessings that we have as believers. We give thanks to you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I know what you're probably thinking. We just finished the end of this book, and what are we doing back at the beginning? And I had plans of preaching a psalm tonight, but I just can't leave this book yet. And, you know, we finished at the end of it just kind of focusing on the armor of God and the Christian and his battles and really what it means to take on the whole armor of God. But then in a quick read this morning, just taking in in chapter one uh, of objective upon objective as Paul tries to uh, describe this majestic gospel that we have in this rich letter. Ephesians doesn't start off talking about battles. It really starts off talking about blessings. If you're here and you're saved this evening, you are among the most blessed creation upon this earth. We used to sing those songs, um, well, it was, I used to hear the song sing, we've read the back of the book and we win. I guess we can look at that, that's how we're going to treat Ephesians. We've looked at the back of the book and we've seen that you can successfully have a victorious Christian life in the face of opposition. But I'd like to start in the beginning of it, digging into the Christian and his blessings. It was recorded that, History's greatest miser goes to a woman of the name of Hetty Green. It was says that it was said that Hetty Green, when she died in 1916, Hetty Green had an estimated value of a hundred million dollars. She ate cold oatmeal because she believed it costed too much money to heat it. Her son had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long in finding a free clinic for him that it became that the case of infection became incurable and he had to have it amputated. She was wealthy, one of the wealthiest women of her time, yet she lived as a pauper. The article said, eccentric, question mark, crazy, question mark, perhaps both. Exclamation point. No one can actually prove it. It was said that when she died in 1916, that she brought on her own death by having a stroke. 
while arguing about the value of drinking skimmed milk. Yes, this is a real article. You know, our first thought about this lady is that this is just insanity, that she would be so rich, that she would have such immense wealth and yet live as a pauper. You know, when we ended looking about the Christian and his battles, we had on the armor of God and we looked at each day that we are to be fighting to have this victorious Christian life. But I didn't want to walk away from Ephesians, not making us realize that, yeah, we have the armor of God, but we also have this rich Christian life. Matter of fact, one of the reasons that Christians become so dreadful is because they fail to um, pray in, dial in, focus in on the immense wealth that we have at our disposal in Christ. It's not, so to say, in dollars, but in relationship. Paul, as he writes this letter to, Ephes uh, um, to the people in Ephesus, the Ephesians, he writes this letter to a, a popular city. We've seen when we studied in the book of Revelations, this city was known for temple worship. It was known to have one of the seven wonders of the world located in Asia Minor. Many historians said that when it came to the cities that existed during the time, Ephesus was so important because it is where the East met the West in all religions of that time collided. It was known for luxury. It was known for its sensuality. It was known for the Temple of Diana, the seventh wonder of the world. And upon Paul's arrival here, it, this was the condition when Paul arrived during his third missionary journey. It was believed that he was there for some two years. Eastern culture, immoralities, idol worship. And yet Paul says here at the start of this letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. That verse has captivated my mind today. Even in the thought process of everything that we've already taken in about Ephesus, that even in the condition that they were in, that Paul writes to the, um, to the saints which are at Ephesus. It's this grand reminder that even in this wicked culture, the gospel still works. In this place of idolatry in this life that they lived the sensuality where they lived for fornication where they worshiped many idols from the east and many idols from the west that during this time and tenure that Paul had there in Ephesus that he arrived to preach a message and God miraculously changed their life the reason that we're here today is because the gospel still works. 
<laughs> the reason that you're sitting in the pew and not serving the God of this world and not still living the life that you once lived is because the gospel still works. Matter of fact, I was taken back at the last minute. That's why I came up here so late, just in the simple thought of this and thought about just coming up here and preaching the very first word of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul. Now to us here, you know, we say Paul. Of course I love Paul. Paul, I'm not going to say two-thirds, but he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And we love Paul. Outside of Jesus Christ, Paul is my favorite person to read about in the New Testament. I love the way he wrote I love the power in his preaching. I love the way that God used him. And when we see Paul, that's exactly what comes to the mind. This mighty apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, for us, that's how we kind of take this in. Paul. But for many in their day, that's not how they took this in. They took in Saul. Saul who, in the New Testament, according to Acts, the Bible says at 22 and verse 3, he said at the foot of Gamaliel, was trained, and he was trained in Judaism. He was a Pharisee, a Pharisee. It goes on, and Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13 and verse 14, For ye have heard of my conversion in times past, in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals, in my own nation. But being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4 and 6, there Paul again says aloud that his main position was that he was a persecutor in the church. Sometimes I, I fear that when we come into these beginning verses, these openings of the text, and we only grasp a hold of the good news. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, for us, I think it would be uh, basically it would ring more in our ears today of what exactly is going on here in this text if it read Hitler, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Kim Jong-un, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Numerically, it may be different about the murders, but Paul was a persecutor. Paul was a murderer. Paul put people to death for their faith. If you didn't agree with him, you was out. He made widows. He ruined families. He wrecked lives. He destroyed churches. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the extraordinary power of the gospel. Paul is pouring out all through Ephesus just how amazing God is. I sat down today and 
took a highlighter just in the first two chapters and highlighted every time Paul is offering up praise to God. And if you do the same thing, you're going to find yourself where it seems that your entire first two chapters are highlighted. Because all Paul does in Ephesians is praise God for being God. Praise, praising God for who he is. Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, how did this ever come about? We've seen in Acts where he offered up his testimony of how all this happened. Uh, the, he gives the whole play out of events, how he was on the Damascus road and the bright light shined down upon him and how God said, Saul, Saul, why kick us thou against the pricks? We see all of that. That was the exact play by play in the book of Acts. But when you get to the book of Galatians, Paul says, let me summarize for you what happened on the Damascus road. In Galatians chapter one, in verse 15 and 16, he said, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. This is the summarization of the Damascus road. God. The great intervener, the great deliverer, the one who turned Paul around on the Damascus Road. How did you ever arrive here? Agrippa asked, God, it was God that did this. I couldn't do this myself. He was the one who activated and turned my life around. I love even more this thought here. When you read through Galatians, and we went through the first part of Galatians, and he says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, God had already had a plan for Paul even before parent, Paul's parents had a plan for Paul. Before Gamaliel ever had a plan or an educational plan to offer up for Paul, God was already divinely moving and praying all and putting all the things in order to bring about Paul to a place where he would eventually be mightily used by God. It was God. Notice even more, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. I love this. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul was never going to separate in his life from his calling. You see, this new name, this action that happened in his life was God. And when God changed Paul, God gave Paul a new calling. This calling that God put upon Paul's life was to be this apostle for us even in our own lives. And this is the challenge that rests upon all of us. 
that we never find ourselves so far down the road in our Christian journey where we're living for God and we find ourselves separated from the calling. It was God who worked in you. It was God who intervened in your life. And it was God who gave you this call. Paul says, listen, I received this calling, but he never separates this calling from the commissioner. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. It was God who even put him in motion. It was God who even put him in ministry. I've been called by God to do his work. He was proud that God called him. He was proud to be used by God. Not only did he see his calling, but he also seen who commissioned him by this, by the will of God. Paul did not just decide to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. It was God's will. Why is this so important? You know, we sat back and said, how is Paul so excited? How does he write Philippians? The prison, this, this epistle in prison. Philippians, the epistle that's all about joy. Ephesians, all about God, who is rich in mercy. How can, we, how can Paul find himself in this state of contentment? Well, it's right here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Well, how does this point to Paul's joy? How does this point to Paul's contentment? It is because Paul has found him in the state of doing God's will. Too often times we find people who say that they are led to preach. God's called me to preach. And we see them and we look around for them today and they're yet nowhere to be found. We see people who said God's called me to teach. And yet we look around and they're nowhere to be found. How many times have we seen people who said that God has called them to the mission field? They hit the mission trail, go gather support, only to return home and say, I've, I've not been called to be a missionary, only to turn around and not do anything in service for God. We may say, wait a second, we, we, you just said that they were led. They were led of their own will. They are not led of God's will. How can Paul be so joyful in prison? Because he's in God's will. You know what makes for miserable Christianity? When we decide what we're going to do with our own Christian life. When we force our desires to be used by God and say, God, this is what I want to do. Bless it and let it be a part of your will. One of the most dreadful places in ministry to be found is the place that you are not supposed to be in. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Can we not see the theme really? It is all about God. Verse 1, you can see by the will of God. Verse 2, uh, from peace be from God. Verse 
verse 3, blessed, blessed be God. Verse 4, God who chose us in him. Verse 5, God who predestined us unto the adoption. In verse 6, in verse 17, in verse 4, in verse 8, in verse 9, and it continues to go on. God, it's God who did it. It's God who called me. It's God who gave me the message. It's God who set me aside in my mother's womb. I'm in his will. It's God who did it all to the saints. You hear that? To the saints. We can't let this pass us this evening. We kind of already lightly touched on it. These saints were not shipped here to Ephesus. They didn't follow Paul on some kind of migrant missionary journey that they were all one and saved in Jerusalem and then they were dropped off across the country. No, Paul arrived here with the powerful gospel message of Jesus Christ and it was preached and it changed their life and and this message hasn't changed all these years later. It's the same message that changed me. It's the same message that changed you. God still uses This same message to deliver people out of lives of immorality. God still uses this same message to deliver us out of lives of sin. God still uses this same message to give us new desires. In order for you to understand why in such a pagan land, why in such a place of immoralities, why why this man's paw name would ever matter, you first have to understand the power of the gospel. If a letter arrived for us today from Paul and we were living in Ephesus, and God had not done anything to us, we would treat this letter to the Ephesians like we do our junk mail. Not much time to pay to it, delivered straight to the trash can because we don't care for the altar. But when the people in Ephesus see this letter, the audience burst with joy because they have a love for the author. It's not always that way. You know, I can even think back even in my own life. Prior to knowing the Lord, tired of people from this church coming and knocking on my door, knowing that I had errands to run and things to do, and on many occasions would take myself straight out to Witten Road from Froome Avenue and go around just so I didn't have to pass by the church and risk being captured by somebody standing outside. You know, the the people who came to my door, I cared about them, but I certainly didn't really care for them, if that makes any sense. I didn't care for the message that they had. I didn't care for them at all in that regard. But you know, Years would go by and years would pass. And after God saved me and after the gospel message changed my life, you see, it changed the audience in which I wanted to be involved with. It changed my desire to be around Brother Head. It changed my desire to be around Brother Duncan. It changed my desire to be around other people who just love the Lord. Prior to this, there was no desire at all. 
Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus. There's this unified bond. It is the explanation to us all, really. It is the reminder to us all that being saved, being born again, having the Holy Spirit dwelling with God in us gives us a new desire from those we hear from. Just even last night, we were sitting here prior to visitation, and as we was exchanging back and forth in simple conversation, when I arrived home last night, I stepped back and said, Lord, thank you for not allowing me to run into those people as often as I used to. Not because I don't want them to be saved. I've preached the gospel to them. But they are not the audience in which I want to be involved with anymore. I don't want to hear from them like I used to. I want to hear from God's people. I want to hear from God's word. You see, my life has been changed because of God. Therefore, I want to hear the things that pertain to God. Prior to these people here in Ephesus, prior to the gospel impacting them, they would have treated Paul like an outcast. When you love the author of this book, who ultimately is God, when you love this word, you get new heroes. When you love this word and you get saved, you look for new input. You look for new audience. This letter was a welcome letter for somebody that loved the Lord. Well, I hope that we can all say that even this evening, that since God has saved us, that we can too attest that we have a new audience in our life, that we have a new love for people in our life that in times past we had no love for. This gospel produced a life-changing way. <laughs> when this gospel was preached in, in Ephesus, when you go back to Acts chapter 19, when, when they give the account, Luke gives the account of what the gospel actually did there in Ephesus, the Bible says that the people of Ephesus took all of their books of magic, worth some 50,000 pieces of silver they counted and they put it together and burned it. They destroyed it. See, not only did the word of God, not only did the gospel message change Paul's life, it changed the people in Ephesus. It made God's people love a murderer and it made a murderer be a loving man who loved God. And even more, not only did it create a new love amongst people, but it gave a central focus in the way that they lived their life. Not only do they love a new author, not only do they desire for a new audience, or not only do they worship at a new place, but it was their desire to do away with the things that they were once bound to. They didn't pass it on to a friend. They didn't pass it on to, uh, for profit in their own life. They didn't try to sell it to the local lost person. They sought to destroy it because they viewed it in opposition 
to the gospel message. You see, that is what the gospel does. That is what the gospel does in our life. It is death and death notice to the old man, to the old people who we used to hang out with, and to the old things that we used to do. It, it truly produces a separated life. So Paul was this loved author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was loved because he brought the gospel there. He was loved because he brought the gospel there. In a society in Ephesus that was wealthy, they had opportunities to make wealth on every side. In a society that basically we would say have all the bells and whistles, Paul did not arrive in Ephesus with a new bell and whistle. He didn't arrive here with a new way to draw people's attention in. No, in a, in a society that was saturated with sexual immoralities in a society that was saturated with idol worship in a society that seemed to be self-consumed. He arrived and didn't look for new statues or new woodworking. He arrived and preached the gospel. And that and that alone was enough to deliver people out of darkness into the marvelous light. It, it alone was enough. Think about this. It alone was enough to break the bondage of the prince and the power of the air who they were in subjection to. This is these books of magic that they burned. The gospel message alone was enough to deliver them from the bondage of this life. It's puzzling to us when we say in a society that seems to be doing well. When it seems that idolatry is on every side, entertainment is everywhere we look. We say to ourselves, and we see even churches today, stepping back and saying, what are we going to do? How in the world are we going to draw people's attention to us so that we can slip the gospel to them? Some have resorted to lights. Some have resorted to fog machines. Some have resorted to modernizing worship. Some have resorted to all the events you could ever imagine. And yet, they're unsatisfied with it. Because when they have a special Sunday of events, they get a thousand people but a regular worship service gets 10. You see, we see our society today, even churches today, trying to do everything to reach people to bring them in. Paul said it can be done with the simple gospel message. It needs no aiding from us. It needs no helping from us. The message alone only needs a preacher. The author was loved. Because he brought the gospel there. If you could arrive 
at the great white throne judgment for uh, an observation. I guarantee that these mega churches today aren't going to be praising, let's just throw one out there, Joel Osteen, for keeping them entertained every Sunday morning. They're not going to be thanking Joel Osteen for all the events that he had. They're not going to thank him for his million-dollar smile. They're not going to thank any of these preachers that have been entertaining in this life on Sundays how good he made me feel when I left at the great white throne judgment seat. All of those events will be washed away. The only thing that they will have wished they had was the gospel. So our interaction in this life is key to what? The gospel. It's not that we have, I know that some people take this dark view in our society that we are only getting worse. We are in the Laodicean age. Some people take that in the book of Revelations that we go through different ages and that now we're in the Laodicean age where the church is lukewarm. And while I believe that all of that could possibly be true, it doesn't limit the power of the gospel. It doesn't mean that the gospel is of none effect. It doesn't mean that the gospel can't save souls. It doesn't mean that the gospel can't change lives. It still has the power. Instead, there's a curse upon the church because they have become satisfied upon the mission field. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. When I look at that last sentence there, not only they were they faithful, but they were faithful in a polluted world. Not only were they faithful, but they were faithful in a perverted world. They were faithful in a pornographic world. They were faithful to loving the Lord in this world that they lived in while sharing the, the gospel message. I love it whenever I read in Christ Jesus. <laughs> I love it because it reminds me of our permanent position upon salvation. It doesn't say in Christ Jesus for the meantime. In Christ Jesus and this and that. Our permanent position upon salvation can rest assured in Christ Jesus. Though it could have took 30 days to, for this letter to leave Rome and arrive in Ephesus, Paul didn't even have to worry upon verse 1 when he writes the letter to the people in Ephesus that it would arrive to a people who were not going to be found in Christ. It is a permanent secured position. One man said that the Christian life is like a boat. The boat's main purpose is fulfilled when it's out upon the water, but it loses its usefulness rapidly, and its usefulness rapidly deteriorates when water gets in the boat. So it is when the believer is set a sail on troubled waters. The objective for the life of the believer is to live in the world and yet not get any of the world in the boat. It is our life that we reach the world 
<laughs> but we are insulated from the world, but we are not isolated from the world. We have to be in it to preach to it. In closing here, he says in verse 2, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul in this instruction says, Grace and peace. Uh, in our previous studies, we've already covered it, that grace is it's the salutation that is given to the Greek culture. It, it, it kind of is to enter into the room and say, rejoice. <laughs> it's good to see you. I'm happy to see you. And in the Jewish culture, they say shalom, which is to say peace be with you. <laughs> and here Paul says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. When, we, when I read this, I kind of just smiled a little bit because we said that Ephesus is where East met the West, <laughs> but where Jews and Gentiles both can come together as one is in Christ Jesus. These are where both can find safety, grace and peace in Christ. It is not just to the Jews, it is to the Gentiles. It is for all of us. Where East may meet the West and Ephesus, the entire world can come under the one saving umbrella of Jesus Christ. Paul is getting ready to, as he unfolds this, such a great salvation that we have. Blessed be, in verse 3, blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us before him in the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He is getting ready to I say, empty out his entire vocabulary trying to explain this great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. So, what do we say about our own lives? May we find ourselves like Paul, where this new life that we have, that we recognize it's from God that we also recognize that this new life that we have from God, when he says Paul, that he also says the apostle, that we also say in our own lives that we live a life where our new name in Christ is never separated from our call. May we always find ourselves trying to live within God's will and not trying to do our will and ask God to bless it. And may we all... Rejoice and rejoice often. I was talking to Evan yesterday about a man who, who was talking to him about losing his salvation. If we could lose it, we would. I rejoice in the fact that we are permanently found in Christ Jesus. This is our resting place. And I thank God, as Paul did in verse 2, that the entire world can find unity in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 
There is no other way this world's going to be unified. There's no reform program. There's no school teachings. Listen, sympathy ain't going to do it. Acceptance ain't going to do it unless it's accepted in the beloved. The only way we find there is through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll bless us, Lord, and, and feed us from your word as we begin, Lord, and, and continue on as long as you uh, give us strength, Lord, uh, as we glean from the word in this great book of Ephesians. Lord, I thank you that in my own life, oh, Lord, I didn't think on December 28, 2008 in the morning that I was going to meet you, but I'm thankful that before I was in my mother's womb, you knew me. You had a plan for me. You called me. Lord, I give thanks to you and praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.